Uh, well, hello again, everyone. It's so good to be with you this morning. And thanks again, Sam, for reading Nehemiah 2. It is great to be uh, mission partners with you guys. Uh, I want to start this morning by telling you about a, a friend um, that I uh, went to school with. And he went after school and started studying architecture. And then we caught up sometime after he'd done that. And we were walking in the, in the city um, in Sydney. And we w- walked past this building, very impressive building. And he said, oh, you know, I, I designed some of that. I thought, wow, it's amazing. The building, it was, there were people like enjoying themselves and using it. It was obviously very functional and beautiful. And I just thought, that, uh, that's amazing. This, this thing that he's worked on means something. It's significant. I'm not sure if you've ever been part of something like that, that you look at and you think, wow, that, that's tangible, that's meaningful, that's significant. If you're at school or, or uni at the moment, you might be thinking, what, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to get involved in? What projects am I going to do that might have that kind of meaning? What will I contribute? Often after years of work, people around the middle of their careers think, well, is what I'm doing with my life worthwhile? Has uh, what I've done meant anything? Let me, let me read to you as we start this morning from uh, Revelation 21. And this is about the end of the most significant project in the world. Um, it's a vision given to the disciple John. This is how it goes. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Wow, I mean, think of that. That is a significant project. That is something worth being involved in. That's what I want to be involved in. And the beautiful thing is, though it sounds wild, we can be involved in it. See, that project, that's the pinnacle of the full life that God had always planned for human beings. That's the picture of the future for God's people when Jesus returns. And it's the pinnacle of the story that's being told the whole way through the Bible, to which all the other stories kind of flow into and point And so uh, Nehemiah, back in uh, 445 BC, around that time, he may not have heard of the New Jerusalem by that name, but he knew very well about the concept and about the big project that God was doing. And for him, that project at that time was focused on the, the, I guess, the old Jerusalem. See, God had promised to restore the world and people, starting with one nation, the Israelites. Out of them, restoration was to flow to the whole world. And today we're going to see how to be involved in this best, most meaningful, significant project in the world. Uh, For some who aren't uh, followers of Jesus Christ, I want to inspire you to start an involvement in this project by trusting him, because your future depends on it. For others, it'll be about how to be involved in this more and more fully. And our involvement's going to be different to Nehemiah's, Because he lived pre-Jesus, we live post-Jesus. And the age that we're in is different. Understanding that difference is really key to understanding uh, how the Old Testament fits with us today. And so we'll look first at Nehemiah, then we'll look at Jesus and us. 
I'm in this chapter, uh, if you heard Sam reading, Nehemiah asks his boss, the king of Persia, to let him go and rebuild Jerusalem. He takes the journey, he uh, surveys the damage there to the walls, and then he rallies the exiles who are there to the cause of this project. And as he does, we're going to focus on three aspects of his approach to being involved in the project, three kind of different aspects of his heart. The first of these is Nehemiah's sad heart, a deep recognition that things are not as they should be. Uh, We talked about this a bit last week. In chapter 1, Nehemiah heard a report that had come back to him from Jerusalem to Susa, where he was, uh, that the the, the city was in a shambles. The returned exiles had rebuilt the temple. They'd started to follow God's law again. But all of this had really been an anti-climax. And the walls of Jerusalem were still in ruins. It's people living in trouble and disgrace. And that made Nehemiah weep and fast, and mourn, and pray. Uh, Chapter 2 begins in the month of Nisan. It's now about three months later, and Nehemiah, whose job was cupbearer to the Persian king, well, he's noticeably sad in the king's presence. And the king notices. He says, this can be nothing but sadness of heart when he sees Nehemiah's face. The king's right. He's a very perceptive boss. Nehemiah cares that something is wrong. That's the first aspect to being involved in this project, caring that something is wrong. The second aspect of Nehemiah's approach is his dependence on God, which then leads him to act bravely. See, when the king notices uh, Nehemiah's sadness, Nehemiah is very much afraid. Uh, In the book of Ezra, which is the one right before Nehemiah in our English Bibles, it was probably connected to Nehemiah originally. Uh, in, the, in the book of Ezra, we see that um, this king, this same king, Artaxerxes, put a stop to some previous building works in Jerusalem. We don't know how long before that was, but Nehemiah's fear is well-founded. It's perhaps not an accident that Nehemiah doesn't actually refer to Jerusalem by its name. He just talks about the city, uh, sort of thinking, well, if I don't mention it, perhaps, perhaps he won't realise. Now, Artaxerxes realised, so his fear is well-founded. But look what Nehemiah does in this precarious position. It says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Of course, Nehemiah has prayed for days, probably every day uh, of those three months leading up to this moment. Nehemiah knows that he's dependent on God for everything, including how the king will respond to this situation. He knows that whether the the king responds kindly or harshly, that's ultimately up to God. Nehemiah is dependent all through this chapter. We see it later as well as he's rallying those in Jerusalem to get behind the task of rebuilding the walls. He draws their attention to God's key involvement. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. So Nehemiah has a dependent heart. Third, Nehemiah gives his whole heart to this project. He describes what he's doing in verse 12. He's doing, he says, what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. This for Nehemiah is a considered, settled plan. 
He's thought through what he's going to do. He's able to ask the king exactly what he needs to get the job done. Uh, Safe passage to Jerusalem, building materials. When he first arrives in Jerusalem, he shrewdly surveys the walls at night. He wants to know exactly the extent of the problem before he tries to win people over uh, to his proposed solution. And he continues unfazed despite uh, the opposition and the threats from some of the the neighbouring officials who seem upset about a new uh, power in their neck of the woods, Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem. And so uh, we see in Nehemiah's approach, his sad heart shows him the great need, his dependent heart fixes his trust on the Lord, and so he commits himself to the project with his whole heart. That's why Nehemiah says to the people, as he's gathering them together to be involved as well, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Project Nehemiah wants to get involved in his removing trouble and disgrace uh, for this little group of Israelites, God's special people who are supposed to be the conduit of restoration to the whole world. Nehemiah gets involved. Now that is an inspiring project. Think about it, going to Jerusalem to rebuild, the the history behind it, the risk, the potential, what a task. Uh, He's undertaking under God to to bring about full life, the way it's supposed to be, heaven on earth. That's what what Nehemiah's uh, being part of. But though Nehemiah does build the wall, uh, we know that 400 years later, when the New Testament picks up the story, that the people are under Roman occupation, still in trouble and disgrace. We know that even now, today, that full life that God describes for us, well, it's not not here. We look at that picture in Revelation 21 of the new Jerusalem, no more death, God dwelling with his people, full life. That's not how it is right now, right here. So how do we bridge from here to there? Nehemiah's wall didn't fix everything. So do we just try again, build another city, more walls, be better people? It won't work because the problem is the people. It's us. The New Jerusalem project needs to go deeper than physical walls. It needs to repair hearts. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus made full life available, not just for the Israelite people, not just uh, temporally, but for everyone and forever. And not a, a life that can be lost and broken again by wayward people, but he gets to the core of the brokenness and deals with the need for restoration that each one of us has individually. That's what we see in the picture of New Jerusalem. And unlike old Jerusalem, it's been built for us. It's, it's coming unstoppably. That's what Jesus made possible. How good is that? So to get involved, we do it in a slightly different way to Nehemiah. We trust Jesus. Instead of building it ourselves, we live now as it's going to be then, caring deeply for other people, living close to God, inviting other people in and valuing all the things that that good place speaks of. It's a bit like when a a younger sibling um, is jealous of their older sibling getting ready to go to school. Uh, They might 
put on the uniform, get their lunchbox ready, put it in a backpack, get all ready. They're not going to school for at least another year, but they're acting like they're going to school today because they're so excited. They're anticipating what it's going to be like. See, we're at a different phase of this project than Nehemiah, but it's the same project. So it's useful to look at Nehemiah because he points out uh, what Jesus has done and, and therefore how we get involved. So let's have a look at those uh, approaches, at those dispositions of heart again. See, like Nehemiah, Jesus cares deeply that this world is not right, but he cares more. Last week, we saw uh, how Jesus wept over this same city, over Jerusalem and its brokenness. In another incident, when we see Jesus' sad heart revealed, he cries at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus. Though minutes later, Jesus knows he is going to uh, display God's power by raising Lazarus from the dead, he weeps because he knows that death is a horrible intruder in the world. He knows that this is not how things should be. It's a sign of the tragic brokenness. But the difference between Nehemiah and Jesus is that Jesus cares much more deeply than Nehemiah. Jesus cares so much that he makes the journey not just from Susa to Jerusalem, from cupbearer to being a, a provincial governor, but from his glory in heaven to be born as a vulnerable baby, to grow into a vulnerable man, to be killed on a cross and give up his full heart for our broken ones. Jesus cares the most deeply that we in our world are not right. Like Nehemiah, like Jesus, we need sad hearts too. Firstly, personally, a sadness at our own brokenness, acknowledging that we do not do God's will in our lives as we already have this morning. This is fundamental to starting involvement in the project, repenting of sin, crying out to God for help. If you've realised that this world isn't as it should be, and that you're part of the problem in your living against God, as we all are, then repent. That's how someone becomes a Christian. And if you're already a Christian, a great way to grow this sad heart is the regular practice of repentance and confession, bringing into the light your own personal brokenness. Secondly, though, we need sad hearts as we look at the consequences of our brokenness in the world, of a, a sin-riddled planet. See, having a picture of what's, what's good means that you can see and, and uh, justify what's not right. When we think about this virus killing people, putting people in ICU, causing all our social relationships to be upended, we know that's not good because we know what good is. And those examples, that's in our relatively uh, privileged country. We heard from Steve Rockwell in South Africa at Church Family Prayer during the week about 480 days in lockdown, about 27,000 new infections, about 60% unemployment amongst young people and about riots and unrest. These things are not good. These things should evoke a sad heart in us and drive us to be involved. See, if we miss this, if we don't let ourselves see the tragedy, then it's easy to get distracted by other less important projects. I wonder what you're likely to get distracted by. Maybe the, the project you're working on is, is uh, some kind of social or professional recognition. Maybe it's getting good marks or succeeding at something. Maybe it's getting and staying healthy. None of those are bad things in themselves, 
But unless we see the deep tragedy of our world, the lost goodness brought about by our rejection of God, then we'll always just be involved in in frivolous side projects. But we shouldn't fear looking at these issues that our world uh, faces because we're in a better situation than Nehemiah. Because we know that as sad as our hearts are, or even if our hearts aren't sad enough, Jesus grieves more. As much as we care, he cares more deeply. And he's proved it. Well, here's the, the second disposition of heart, a dependent heart. Like Nehemiah, Jesus shows his dependence by his prayer to God. Now, Jesus prayed uh, many times in his ministry, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, if there is any way other than me giving up my life and suffering your wrath, Father, please let us do this differently. But then he prayed, may your will be done. As Nehemiah stood before Artaxerxes, he prayed, depended on God and was given success. As Jesus stood before Pilate, he was dependent on God too. And innocent, he was condemned to death. Jesus entrusted himself fully to God, but instead of finding favour and success, he was forsaken, he was killed. And that's actually what Nehemiah deserves. That's what we deserve, not Jesus, but Jesus died. That's how we know that our trust in Jesus, our trust in God means favour, means success. So we need dependent hearts. How do we grow that? How do we entrust ourselves to God more and more? Well, perhaps like Nehemiah stood before the king, you could take a risk uh, with someone who might instill some fear in you. I don't know, maybe it's someone in your circle of friends or a family member. Maybe it's by raising something that, that you know is not right in the relationship or in the way they're treating someone else or something that they're doing. See, that's being involved in the project of the new Jerusalem, not because you need to reshape the world yourself, but because you want to live like you're already there. Or perhaps you realise, in light of this restoration project, that what that person needs, it's actually to be part of the project themselves. It may seem crazy, depending on, on who you're thinking of, but can you imagine actually talking to them about this wonderful project that God's doing, inviting them to be part of it. It's no doubt risky and awkward, and you might think it would ruin the relationship. But here's the thing, because of Jesus, even if that situation seems to turn out badly, even if you do face persecution, even if you were to lose a job, I mean, this is extreme, but even if you were to somehow face death through that, that's no failure. Jesus has already taken the ultimate shame when he depended on God. And was forsaken. Success is ultimately assured in the new Jerusalem, so our dependent hearts can be strengthened. Well, the third and last disposition of heart is wholehearted commitment. Jesus pursued the restoration project with his whole heart. For Nehemiah, that looked like counting the cost of the project, planning shrewdly, inspiring others to get involved. It looked like physically rebuilding the city. But for people to ultimately live in a good place with other people and with God, people need to be good. And so the restoration of those old walls is ultimately just a band-aid solution until the hearts of the people are also restored. Jesus left his good place in God's presence and came to our broken place. 
And instead of marching in as triumphant king to live in the city in safety and security as he deserved, Jesus is crucified outside the city. Hebrews 13 makes a point of this and says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. So he is so committed to winning full life for us human beings that he gives his away. Because of the one who died outside the city, the city is one for us. So for us, his wholehearted commitment means that we can wholeheartedly commit with confidence and hope, with more confidence than Nehemiah, knowing that this city really is coming, that restoration is certain because of what we've seen Jesus do. We can do so with hope, knowing that the outcome doesn't depend on us, that our involvement is not the the driving force, but as co-workers, by God's grace, we are really involved as he works through us. Being involved in this project means committing ourselves wholeheartedly to it. I asked at the start, you know, what is the most exciting project you've been part of, that you could dream of being part of? Perhaps you've realised that You're toying around with side projects in life, not the main game. Let me tell you, this project for full life, this project that both Nehemiah and Jesus were working on, this is the best thing you can be part of. And the inspiring reality is that whoever you are, you can be involved. You're invited. So get involved with a sad heart, a determined heart, a dependent heart, your whole heart because this is the only project worth investing yourself in. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you intend good for our world and for us. Thank you that though we've actively worked against this intent of yours, that you are committed to restoring us. Lord, we thank you that uh, Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection Uh, make it possible uh, for us to be involved, for this project to mean good for us. Uh, Lord, we, we commit ourselves to this most meaningful of projects and we pray that you'd help us throw ourselves into this work. In Jesus' name, amen.